Welcome to the Corporate Legal Ops Consortium podcast, where we dive deep into conversations with technology and legal ops thought leaders from across the ecosystem. This is Clock Talk. I'm your host, Jen McCarran. I'm on the board of directors at Clock, and I lead the Netflix legal operations and technology team. Welcome to the first Clock Talk episode with our new roster of guest hosts. This week's guest host is Clock Board member Adam Becker, Director of Legal Operations at Cockroach Labs. Adam is joined by Cash Butler, founder of Clara Legal, and they discuss Clock Core 2, financial management. These two legal ops leaders emphasize the importance of ensuring that the processes of a legal department align with the overall business goals. In fact, it's actually all about the business. If your legal ops strategy doesn't ladder up into measurable financial results for the business, you're going to have a hard time proving your value. They also chat about the importance of cross-departmental relationships, especially with the finance team. You know I always say, legal ops and finance ops teams are the chocolate and peanut butter combo of digital transformation inside any enterprise. I hope you love this discussion as much as I did. Enjoy. Let's jump in then, because you said the clock is ticking, and there's the first joke of the day. This is the Clock Talk podcast. We're going to do the clock, and it's all about relationships. So why are we here? Who are we? I believe I should start by saying that I'm Adam Becker from Cockroach Labs. I'm guest hosting the Clock Talk podcast right now, and over the coming months, we're going to be covering the Clock Core 12. And today's focus is financial management. So when this topic came to me, I thought about who would be the most fun person to talk about financial management. And I thought, well, Cash Butler, obviously, you know, cash, financial, money, it all made sense. It was perfect match. That's how it all came together. So we're going to talk about cash money today. And cash, you are a person who's been in the legal industry for a bit of time. I know you can't fix everything, but I feel like you can fix a lot of things and you have insights into things that other people haven't seen before. So why don't you tell our listeners who you are, what you do, and then we have to disclose how we know each other. So I've helped build a couple of discovery companies. I have about 30, 35 years of legal technology. I want to be clear, it's legal technology. I am not a lawyer. What I am is an operations expert. My MBA is in operations. My other graduate degrees are in operation type of things and marketing, oddly enough, which is sort of different. So I have a formal training in operations, which is pretty interesting. At first, I thought it was sort of boring, but then I go, oh, there's like real life application for this stuff. And it's good. It helps things. I find it very interesting. My latest couple of companies... I have a R3 Consulting, which has a little tagline of AMPT, A-M-M-P-P-T. And I borrowed it a little bit from the wonderful people at Clock. Oh. It's alignment, measurement, management of people, process, and technology to deliver wonderful service and results to the business. That is a mouthful, and I like it, especially the measurement part, because we're going to be talking money today in finance. Let's disclose our pre-existing relationship. Where are you physically located? 
the wonderful, very cold city of Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I am a Michigan grad myself. Therefore, you are my lifeline to all Michigan things. In fact, you are the person who keeps me apprised of all Michigan sports development before anybody else. So I very much appreciate that. It's been a wonderful new year. Let me tell you what we're going to do today and what we're handling, because you and I are talking financial management in the legal department context. And so I thought, well, we could talk about that, but wouldn't it be more fun to hear what people have tips on about that? So I reached out to the clock community and I said, hey, send me some of your favorite tips and tricks for financial management. I will say we got two flavors. One, we got financial management writ large. And we got a number of tips specifically about law firm management. So Cash, I would love to get your thoughts on our first tip. Amanda Hashfield at Intel, you get what you measure. If you want to drive improvements, financial or otherwise, figure out the key lever you want to impact and then measure it report it out, and hold people accountable to it. What do you think? I think that's a wonderful statement. I think it's very businesslike. And the only thing I would possibly add to that is ensure that the processes, the things that you're doing in your department align with the goals of the overall business. And so the KPIs or key performances indicators that you use to measure or manage are not only understandable to the legal department, but they're understandable to the business. A CFO has a CFO language. The legal department has legal language. But if you can measure and report in a language that everyone understands, that could be really powerful. And by the way, it absolutely helps with accountability. Describing exact, you know, here's why this thing is important. Here's how it adds to our business. Here's the financial ramifications, pros, cons. You know, sometimes people don't take the time to define what it is they're measuring and why it is important. I mean, everyone knows running efficiently is important, but why? What does it drive? How do we measure it? And how do we improve it? Yeah, I really like that statement she had. (laughs) You put in a secret little hint in that. You put in a tip in yourself, which I'm going to highlight because I think it's one of these little things that like you pick up and it's really helpful. Aligning it with the business goals. When you do your budget, it's always great to be like, I need a lot of money because the business has this goal and this is how we're going to support it. We're going to invest in X, Y, and Z. And so, yes, measuring will eventually get you to the requesting place. But yes, always aligning with those corporate objectives. That, like, that's how you get the money, right? If you just say, we need money because we do legal work, it doesn't go so far. They're like, who doesn't? But that's where it gets really good. Let me ask you about accountability because I've been thinking about this lately. And I've worked in different environments where accountability could have had a negative connotation where it's kind of like, well, who's going to get axed if things go wrong? And I think that's a bad way to look at it. I've started to think that if I'm accountable for something, it means that I have the backing to go chase what I need. So if somebody isn't being responsive, if I'm not getting exactly what I need, because I'm accountable for it, I actually have an authority to push a little bit harder without being obnoxious or being a jerk. If we all know we're accountable... I'm kind of leaning towards the idea of it gives you more of a purposeful way of interacting with your peers. But I haven't fully formulated that yet. So accountability has to be fair and transparent. It cannot be an impossible thing to do. 
it's got to be fair and, by the way, agreed upon by both the manager and the employee or the GC and the head of legal operations or the CEO and the GC. It's got to be clear and understood or else there's going to be a disconnect. The other thing is the ability to hit these goals because it's not just a snack on the hand. It's also, boy, oh boy, you really knocked that one out of the park, Adam. You need a raise or you need a bonus. (laughs) If the business world is all about revenue and not about expense, so is the human world. It can't be punishment without, I don't know, happy birthday time. If you do a good job, you deserve to be compensated. And that's the other side of accountability that people don't look at. It's, Hmm. I want this to show up on my job review and not in a negative fashion, not (laughs) in a punitive fashion, but in, hey, I did something great, or my team did something great, or I collaborated with this group, and the group is accountable and really knocked it out of the park. More often than not, you're going to get a better result if you follow achievable, measurable goals that you can hold people, groups, teams accountable for, but it can't be unfair. So in the first discussion, we've already realized that financial management can lead to team highlighting and amazing and everybody is going to be amazing and we're all in the human world. So this is going to be fantastic. Awesome. Should we go to another tip from our friend, Krista Johnson at Lexion? For those new to managing budgets and forecasting, collect as much detailed historical data as you can. Take time to familiarize yourself with the data and be curious. Ask your finance team questions. I found they're more than happy to answer any questions. What's your reaction? I think that's a very smart move, particularly the analysis of the data. When doing these kinds of learnings, assessments, if you will, you really want to understand what the current thing is. But then you also want to dig in and say, huh, this number here looks a little high or doesn't look like we're spending any money down here. You're looking for outliers already. Oh, yeah. And they'll be all over the place. And not only even outliers, it's just things that are maybe, I think we talked about this a while ago, storage fees. Oh, storage fee. Everybody loves a storage fee. I mean, some of the contracts (laughs) are way old and they never get updated or maybe they don't get updated as aggressively as they should. I mean, when I first started in the electronic discovery thing, I was getting $3,000 a gigabyte. I went to the owners because I could buy a hard drive for 150, 200 bucks. I go, am I going to go to jail for charging people's storage fees like this? This seems a little usurious. Maybe we could, on a separate time, come up with like the legal ops version of that reality show, Storage Wars, and figure out if there's something there. I've never seen the show, but I get the idea. Like you put something away, you forget about it, and then people auction it. I don't think any of us want our stuff being auctioned to the highest bidder, but there's got to be something there we can do. So for data hygiene, it's not destroying data that you don't need. It's a combination of the contract. You don't need it to be updated. So my $3,000 a gigabyte is now $10 a gigabyte. Mm -hmm. That's a big difference. And it's also, what do you keep and why do you keep it? There has to be justification. People and companies have petabytes of data that and they may be, not only is it a cheap. cost, it's a risk. I know. And this is a big cost. That's one of those things you could be like, I looked at this. Let's look into this. We can save money because of all the things you just said. I'm going to point out one thing on hers. So this is just kind of my thing. And this is why I love it. And I think 
there are so many people who are super experienced or have come into legal ops from different areas and are super experienced. And sometimes we hesitate to ask questions and we shouldn't. First of all, your peers are always happy to tell you what they do and explain it to you. But I remember my first in-house job, they were pushing me on accruals. And eventually I just said, I don't fully know what this is or why we do it. And then they were very happy to explain to me the importance of accruals and how they work. And actually led me to come up with better ways to do it than what we were doing. But I think it's okay not to know everything. And that's part of all of this, I think. I love asking questions. All right, let's go to Victoria Whitesell from the Law School Admission Council. They have some interest in the legal world, so this is going to be good. You can't make a plan or budget until you know where you currently stand. The first time I created a budget, I asked finance for the previous year's budget versus actual income statement for our unit. I analyzed the expenses to figure out our bottom line for operational expenses, and now we create budgets with more accuracy, which makes finance very happy. That's the way businesses run, and I think... There's something sort of going back to questions one and two, something that's missing there. If I have a million dollar budget and it's sort of wonky and really should be 80 million, Mm -hmm. you got to analyze it to make sure that baseline budget that you're starting with is true north, is practical, realistic. And then once you get that based on the analytics that you can derive from data, that's when you put your budget together. I had a number of people years ago say it's real hard to forecast and budget. There were legal people, there were general counsel. And I say, geez, guys, if you think this is hard, try doing this sales and budgeting thing for a sales forecast. That's nearly impossible. So it can be done. It just takes a lot of time and effort and asking questions, getting the proper help that you need and expertise, learnings to be able to put it together. It's also impossible to make a personal budget. I blow through mine every month and I don't know what's happening. I'm so meticulous. Well, I hold myself accountable for that one and I end up slapping (laughs) my hands. I looked at Victoria's question and the thing that struck out at me is when she said the first time I created a budget, first time I created a budget, I was working at a law firm. It was my first time in like a management budget position. And my boss came into my office, literally threw a file of paper down and said, you have to do the budget. And I said, how? She goes, I don't know. You figure it out. And that is my first experience budgeting. But to her point, I went to the finance team. I'm like, what do I do? And what do you need? How do I do this? And it was a big budget. So it was a little scary. People don't have forecasts or budgets that are in the realm of reality. Yeah. Inheriting that, it's tough. The finance team helped me. And now we're still besties. To her point, we're all besties. And many jobs later... We got a number of kind of like billing and law firm things. And I know this is also kind of up your alley. Here's a neat tip. This is anonymous, an anonymous caller. Be sure to add any type of early payment discount or enforcement measures into your law firm billing guidelines. Doesn't mean you have to do it, but it's better to have the language related to the measures that the firm actually signs to better than not having it. I think this is a question about One, billing guidelines, but what do you think about the early payment disclosure or enforcement measure? Or, frankly, late Late billing. Yeah, you don't like a late bill. But, you know, there can be penalties for that. that, uh, Penalty, yes. Harsh penalties for that. Absolutely. If the law firm's listening, harsh penalties for late billing. It's crazy that law firms aren't more on top of that kind of stuff because that's their revenue. That's their money. They got to dole that out at the end of the year as profits per partner. 
chasing that stuff down is not good. I think we should have a law firm billing person on this podcast to hear what really happens on the other side, because it must be crazy back there. You know, back to those billing guidelines. I think you and I were kibitzing about this the other day. They're guidelines. They're not rules. Nope. If they're rules, rules, we call them rules. You got it. And so the language (laughs) absolutely needs to be specific and it needs to be defined. And you don't want to make it so complicated that no one can comply with the guideline or rule. It's got to be fair to both partners, you know, buyer and seller. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not negotiations because there needs to be negotiation because what is fair is generally not exactly what people throw out as their first, you know, we want $10,000 an hour. Well, you're not going to get that. How about five? (laughs) And it's interesting because the rules can be codified in technology. Technology is very good with rules. Guidelines, on the other hand, can get built into it through technology into workflows, but they need someone to make decisions and And interaction with the customer. Absolutely. And who better to make the decision than the lawyer supervising the work in-house? They know what's right. And they can say, you know what? We normally don't pay for this, but in this case, it actually was a lot of work. We will pay for it this time. That is the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. Reasonable people coming together. I want to just point out that the early payment discount and enforcement, I kind of consider that next level, higher level stuff. That's hard to do. So I love the question, Anonymous. There's a lot that goes into that, which I think could be a whole separate measure. I've tried it. I haven't had enough success with it yet. And I think some of the bigger companies can do it. It's hard to keep track of. I know there are things out there to make it easier now, but that's like one of those clever billing things that came my way a few years ago that I was like, that's pretty good. If you pay your bills really quickly, we'll knock off 5%. That's pretty clever. And I had never thought of that. So thank goodness for my community for educating me on Lots of times, lots of people don't understand the time value of money, which is a accounting thing. Getting that money up front and getting it dished out, that's a very good thing. Certainly much better than the penalties for not doing it. When I was in high school and during college, I worked for a builder. Well, if we paid our money up front to the lumberyard for the construction materials, instead of waiting until we're done building the house, we get a 15% discount on all those materials. And we took advantage of that as often as sometimes it wasn't possible, depending on the, you need your working capital requirement quite healthy. But <laughs> I mean, that was a big money maker. I mean, that adds 15% to the margin. I mean, it's really good. We have two more questions that I think we can get to. I'm going to combine them. They're both about what do you do if you don't have e-billing? If you don't have e-billing, the idea, one says... Ask your law firm for annual data if you don't have anything. You have no e-billing. They track everything. And another one says, ask your finance department if you have no information, which I think is also a very good thing to do. Our lawyers are good suggestions. I think the law firm thing is overlooked. And I want to kind of highlight that you know law firms actually keep a lot of data on their clients. And asking them for usage or tracking or really anything is not crazy. They're happy to do it. They've already sent you the bill. There's no secrets there. They can give you the historical information. I think it's one of those things people sometimes overlook, maybe again for fear of looking like you weren't together. But quite frankly, if you're new, there was no information there before. 
but they're usually pretty happy to give you the breakdown. I used to do it with diversity stats all the time. Tell me about our diversity stats for our work last year. They do it in a matter of days, actually. I suspect that should be done even if you have an e-billing system to make sure that, mm. you know, they match. I think so your tip is to ask the firm, even if you do. Yep. Oh, that aligns, right? It's like accounting. I guess we're in finance here, credits and debits. It's a good way to do a little bit of an audit, a little bit of understanding what's going on. For e-billing tools, there's a lot of them that don't have to be enterprise level. It's, you know, back to the AMP thing or the people processing technology. And measurability, don't forget, that's your thing. Oh, Oh, yeah. The solution, it's never a golden bullet, never a magic wand that technology solves all your problems. Ever. Isn't that the truth? And we've been hearing that a lot lately. Theoretically, in any operation, it consists of three things and three things only. Input or maybe intake in the legal ops world, transformation, and there could be sub-processes, sub-transformational processes for different things, and output. That is classic operations in a nutshell. Input, transform, output. Outputs are generally reports. We love reporting. We love output. We love operations. I agree with you. I'm going to do one more tip, and we're not going to go into it because I think it speaks for itself. And then one question before we wrap up. I think it's a really interesting question. It seems simple, but it's not. The quick tip is be in a great relationship with your finance team. Build those relationships. They will go a long way. I'm going to just take this one. Absolutely. When I teach... Legal Ops 101 at clock and do the financial management thing. I don't talk about math at all. I say it's all about relationships and communication. So that is your finance team. They can make life so much easier and you can make their life so much. That is the, one of the most important relationships you can have. So I yes. would suggest they need to make relationships with all the lines of business. Oh, with everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. But finance, you interact with so much more than oh, others. Yeah, yeah. it's a special Let's wrap this up. It's a straightforward question, but it's a hard one. And then just give me your thoughts. The question is, what resources would you recommend for folks with non-financial backgrounds who dive into legal FP&A? Simple, but really complicated. So there are a couple of certificate programs. Use the resources like at Clock and other, you know, you might have to go a little bit deeper. There's all kinds of college courses on this. It's not that you need to have a degree. Maybe it isn't. It's take a couple classes, call your friends, see what they do and ask them where they got their acumen. Unfortunately, it's probably going to be, I learned it the hard way, the school hard knocks. That Mm. said, guess what? Well, what did you learn that you can help me with? So I don't have to get popped in the nose So I would do that. I would look at the organizations like Clock. Community colleges are a great resource for this stuff. Because at the end of the day, finance is finance. Operations is operations. Sure, there are nuances in legal stuff and some other stuff. You're not selling candy bars. But at the end of the day, the fundamental things in finance, marketing, selling, they really hold pretty true. I like some of these new programs that have joint MBA, JD degrees. I think it's mm. spectacular. And I also like some of these other, I think the ABA might have a certificate for finance for lawyers. Not 100% sure on that, but there's places to go. Yeah. 
I don't think it has to go too deep because you're not expected to be a finance person. Going back to the relationship, they're going to teach you. And in the legal world, we love words, right? Words are our thing. And so much of working with finance is translating words into other things, often numbers, but also other things that they use. But so much of our job is doing that translation between the two. And you can learn so much literally by asking them. But, you know, I think the first thing I did, I think I watched it like a YouTube thing that was okay. So I think there are many ways to do it, but nobody knows everything. Thank you to everybody who sent something in. I love all your ideas and I'm sorry we didn't get to them all, but we could do this again. I love the fact that people are taking these things serious in legal operations. It's a profession and that's important. The clock community has been wonderful. The tips that people are asking, we should probably get tips and questions to do this again because where do I go for help? Well, guess what? A little research, we might be able to answer that or at least suggest. Thank you, Catch, <laughs> for doing this with me. I appreciate oh. it. I'm so pleased that I got to do this with you. I always have a good time talking with you and it's great to get your insights from your, you said 30 plus years. I feel like you've only been doing this a minute. You're basically new to the, the oh. working world. I just want to thank Adam and Clock. I'm honored to do this. Please just punch. That about wraps up this episode. Thank you, Adam and Cash, for coming on the podcast today and for sharing your thoughts. Catch this and other episodes of Clock Talk wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Until next time.